Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving with family and friends this year. Uh, But it's official. It's my favorite time of the year, so I can say it. Merry Christmas. And you can't argue with me because the decorations at the church said so. All right. Uh, Man, I'm so excited. One of my favorite things to do each year um, is to preach a Christmas series. And there's always a challenge as a pastor. I've been doing this now about 14 years to come up with a creative spin on the Christmas story. In some years, we just say, you know what, we're just going to preach it like it always is. But this year, we came up with just a a neat idea that I hope is helpful and encouraging to you, Um, this idea of a series called Do You Hear What I Hear? And what we're going to do for three weeks is we're going to look at some familiar Christmas hymns that we sing in church and um, hymns that we will be singing over this Christmas season. So Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Joy to the World and Silent Night. And what we're going to do each Sunday in this series with that is we're going to be looking at the history behind that song. When was it written? Why was it written? And where does it find its anchor in the scriptures? Because my goal is at the end of this Christmas season that hopefully in the years to come as you sing these songs, as you hear them on the radio over these next couple of weeks, that you'll hear them in a new way. You'll hear them in a new light. And hopefully you'll hear now what I've been able to hear as I've studied the scriptures in relation to these classic Christmas songs. And so I hope this is helpful for you. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, if you're willing and if you're able, we're only going to read two verses today because we're going to be looking at several scriptures, but two verses in this Christmas story written by Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And God's word says this, that suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this season that we get to celebrate, Lord, coming off a a day of gratitude and thankfulness. Lord, we're reminded that we need to be thankful for Christmas. God, that you stepped out of heaven on our behalf in order to rescue sinners and restore our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help fix our hearts on that truth. And as we study your word and as we look at some of these classic songs, that, God, we would truly be reminded for the reason that we celebrate um, this Christmas season. We love you, Jesus. Would you give us open ears to hear from your word today? God, we pray not just for open ears, but soft hearts and then obedient hands and feet. Because, God, we don't want to simply be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word that live in obedience, walking closely with Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On December 9th, Thursday, December 9th in 1965, History says that on that evening, approximately 15.4 million American households gathered around their television sets for the first run of what was a very much-anticipated Christmas special. You can do a little research on this Christmas special and find out that leading up to it, it was quite the uphill battle for those in charge of making this a success. The crew in charge of this special only had six months of preparation, the executives for CBS believed in all, with all of their hearts that this Christmas special was going to be a total flop. And even the main sponsor of this much-anticipated Christmas program, which was Coca-Cola at the time, had fears that there wasn't enough interest around America, partially due to the fact that this Christmas program was going to be interwoven with several biblical themes. In their eyes, many of them believed that the show was going to be too slow, that the animation that they had seen up to that point was too poor, The voiceovers were done completely incorrectly and lacking much vigor that they wanted in this Christmas special, and 
To top it all off, as I said a moment ago, there were too many biblical tones woven through it, especially a one-minute monologue by one character from Luke chapter 2. You probably have heard this Christmas special. If you haven't even watched it this season, where are you at? You need to get on it. But you probably remember this. We can throw our photo up. The Charlie Brown Christmas special. Aired for the first time on that December 9th, Thursday evening in 1965. And to much of their surprise, to the surprise of Coca-Cola and to CBS, it's estimated that nearly half of all Americans watched that special on that Thursday evening. Fast forward 57 years. I didn't know this until this past couple of weeks, but the Charlie Brown Christmas special has become the second most viewed Christmas program every season, right behind the number one winner, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. As one person I read this week said, Charlie Brown just can't seem to win, right? If you're familiar with that program, it can actually be broken down into three parts, and this will transition into our song for today. Initially, Charlie Brown struggles with a very specific question. Does anybody know what the Christmas is all about? You remember him asking that question? Then after a series of ups and downs and events in that Christmas special, his friend Linus on that stage at their Christmas practice from Luke chapter 2 points him to the true meaning of Christmas, that a savior for all people had come into the world. But then I thought it was interesting, and again, I didn't realize this until the past couple of weeks, to kind of bookend and close out the show, it closes with this scene. All of the characters gathered around that tree that they all worked so hard to put together, and they sang a very well-known Christmas song that we just sang a few moments ago, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. And we see those biblical themes woven throughout this entire show, pointing us to Jesus. Charles Schultz did that on purpose. But this song, I believe, was chosen on purpose and not by accident. Because I'd make the argument today after studying for the last few weeks that Hark the Herald Angels Sing is one of the greatest Christmas songs to listen to and sing because of how it encompasses the entirety of the meaning and purpose of Christmas. It's interesting, this song was written in 1739, and we're going to give you history over these next few weeks of these songs to help us fully appreciate these things that we sing on such a regular basis and are so common to us. But it was written in 1739 by a man named Charles Wesley, a leader in the Methodist Church. You may have heard of his brother before, a guy named John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Over his lifetime, Charles Wesley, history says, wrote over 6,000 hymns and poems, more than any other male hymn writer in history. It's actually said, I found this very interesting, they said if you were to take those 6,000 hymns and poems that he wrote, and if someone were to collect them all together and compile them into a book, that the writings of Charles Wesley and those hymns and those poems would encompass the greatest theological work that human history has ever seen. Nobody's ever done it before, though. Because his writings and his poems and his songs were so rich in content from the Scriptures. On that day when he wrote this hymn, it was written when he was walking to church in London on Christmas Day. Kind of sounds like a Christmas movie, doesn't it? And it's said that as he was walking to church on that Christmas Day that he heard the church bells in London ringing. He had written this about a year after his conversion, and he penned the work originally to be read on Christmas Day in church as a reminder, this is why he wrote it, of the true meaning of Christmas. What's so funny to me, and I didn't know this, is that opening line that we're all so familiar with probably, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, was not what the original line read. The original line actually read this, 
This, I don't know, this is kind of weird to me, but it says, Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. Anybody here know what a welkin is? I didn't know until this week, but welkin is actually an old English word that means the expanse of the sky or the heavens. And so when Wesley originally penned this, what he wanted to say was, Hark how the heavens ring, glory to the king of kings. And then this is also what he wanted. It was originally written at a poem that later would be sung in churches. But he said, if we're going to sing, Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings, I want it to be sung, this is what he said, to slow, boring music so it doesn't lose the reverence in which I wrote it. You can probably guess, didn't take off. When Pastor Joe and the team was leading just a few moments ago, that's not slow music. This past week, as he was preparing the worship set and sending it out to the team, he's like, goodness, the transition from the second song to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the, the tempo increases exponentially. How did that happen? Well, ultimately, 14 years later, a man, maybe you've heard this name before as well, George Whitfield, he was a student of Wesley. He adapted this poem into this well-known Christmas song that we sing each holiday season, and he did two significant things to it, and this is what we're going to look at today. He changed that phrase, hark how the welkin rings, to hark the herald angels sing. He made it more accessible to the common man. And instead of saying glory to the king of kings, he changed it into that familiar line. He changed it to glory to the newborn king, and the rest is history as it goes down in history, is one of the most popular Christmas songs that churches sing around the world today. But what makes it so special, and this is where we want to spend our time today, is how rich in theology this really is. There's a lot of Christmas songs out there. There's a lot of songs out there in general that we just sing, but we don't necessarily know what they mean. One thing I appreciate about Pastor Joe and our worship team, Seth and Devin and all those that, that help us choose songs, is they often say that we're very, we're very word-centric and why we choose what we choose. We don't sing songs just because they're popular. We sing songs because they're rooted in the scriptures. And Pastor Joe believes that his job as a pastor in this church is not just the proclamation of the word of God through preaching, but it's the proclamation of the word of God through singing as well. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing is one of those songs where if you want to know what the scriptures say about Christmas, this is a song that you can run to and embrace this Christmas season. If you read the first stanza, and here's how this is going to work. These are going to be up on the screen, and I'm going to occasionally reference certain lines so that you can see how this all ties together. But the first thing that we see, and Wesley did this very intentionally, he broke the song into three stanzas, 30 lines, and it was broken down into three parts to point our hearts to Christmas. And the first one is this, it's the purpose of Christmas. The ultimate purpose of Christmas, from Genesis 3.15, you can read that in your Bible if you would like to, in the initial um, fall of humanity into sin, we see in the biblical narrative, starting at that point all the way up to the Gospels, the sting and consequence of sin that was plaguing humanity throughout history. Not only that sin destroys us, but sin separates us from God and leaves us physically dying and spiritually dead. So what's the solution from Genesis 3.15 all the way through the biblical narrative up to the Gospels? What's the solution to mankind's sin problem? The solution, we're reminded this season, is Christmas. Christmas is the answer to the sin problem. It's in line four of the song, if we can put that back up there. Sinners need to be reconciled with God. What was broken needs fixed, and the solution is not found in our own efforts as we've seen in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans throughout the scriptures. The solution is found in Jesus Christ. 
This whole song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is loosely based off the passage we just read in Luke chapter 2. And we see that reconciliation of God and man taking place in Luke 2.10. You can read that in your Bible if you're still there in Luke, but this is what it says. But the angel said to them, those shepherds out in that field, tending to their sheep, don't be afraid, for look, I love this, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. The angels claimed, came to proclaim this message to lowly shepherds that the solution to mankind's separation from God had arrived, hope had come, Jesus was here. In line eight of this song, we read that simple phrase that Christ was born in Bethlehem. The Savior, the Christ, if you didn't know that, that word Christ it literally means Savior. It means the one who came to save, that the Savior had come into the world in Bethlehem. Paul phrased it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is, in Christ, that in the Savior, Paul says, God was reconciling the, wor the world to himself. There's our word again, reconciliation, bringing us back into relationship with him. Not counting their trespasses against them, he has committed the re message of reconciliation to us. When Jesus stepped out of heaven into this world, he was doing what it took to draw mankind back to himself, forgiving our sin debt, and not only that, reconciling us back to God. The purpose of Christmas, as Wesley reminds us in this classic song and as we see in the scriptures, listen to this, and if you're a note taker, write this down. God came to get us. When we ran from him, God came to get us. That the rescue mission for sinners was underway. He, he didn't leave us in our sin debt. He didn't leave us to figure it out on our own. But starting in a lowly stable, in a place called Bethlehem, the mystery of the gospel starts to unfold where God comes to get his children. And as Wesley pens this song, he reminds us first and foremost in the first stanza of the purpose of Christmas but then I love that he extends an invitation to you and I when we sing the song in line number six. What's he say in line number six? Join the triumph of the skies. Join the angelic proclamation that you just read in Luke chapter 2, 13 and 14, that in response to the pronouncement that the Savior had come into the world, what do the, the angels begin to do? What do the heavens begin to declare? God's praise and his glory Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. That's the purpose of Christmas, that God came to get us. But here's what's interesting, stanza two, we see the price of Christmas. Because the Christmas story doesn't stop in the stable in Bethlehem, but that's just where it starts. See, there was a price associated with Christmas that, yes, Jesus came to save sinners. But this is so important for us to remember these next 30 days, and really all the time, that it cost Jesus something, that it cost Jesus more than we could imagine. And Wesley reminds us in Hark the Herald Angels Sing in the first two lines of what it cost Jesus to come get us, what it cost him to come rescue sinners. Jesus was adorned, we see in the very first line of the second stanza, with all of the glories of heaven. He was God. Jesus is God. I was reminded in Colossians chapter 1, this may be a verse you're familiar with, verses 15 and 16, when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he reminds them of who Jesus is. Listen to this. 
that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, meaning that he, he has the highest dominion over all of the universe, that he is the creator of everything that is in existence. Verse 16, everything was created by him in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things. I think that's pretty all-encompassing right there. Have been created through him, and here's why. For him. Jesus is over all of these things. He has, he has the highest heaven adornment upon him because he is God. But then what does Wesley say in line number two? Not only is Jesus adorned with all the glories of heaven, but he is the everlasting God, the eternal ruler of the universe, existing outside of all time and space, God above all. John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 1, he said, in the beginning was the word. That's a reference to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. And listen to this, Jesus was God. Jesus existed in the heavenlies as God. But Galatians 4.4, the apostle Paul wrote that at the right time, when time had come to completion, that Jesus Christ chose to lay that aside and come to dwell among us in the flesh. That God chose to exist in our physical reality and in the constraints of our time, existing fully as God, yet also fully as man at the exact same time. My friend Joe Veal, you've heard me say this a hundred times over. He said Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, meaning he was the only 200% being to ever live. He was both at the exact same time. It's what's known in, in Christian circles as the incarnation of Christ. Think about this. This is what makes Christianity such a mystery that God took on flesh for you and me. That's the purpose of Christmas. But ultimately, the purpose leads to a price. Because God taking on flesh, Jesus came to pay a price to take care of my sin. And Jesus came to pay a price to take care of your sin. I pray we never get over that reality of the gospel. That we were lost, hell-bound sinners, hopeless unless God stepped into our story. But what's the purpose of Christmas? God came to get us. God came to get us and pay a debt for our rebellion against God. In line eight of this song, we see the name of, of Jesus. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Don't skimp over that, that, that name, Jesus. Don't skip it. Because the name Jesus literally means God saves. We see that in the pronouncement of the angel in Matthew chapter one. Look at what he says. That Mary will give birth to a son. There's the incarnation, the virgin birth of Jesus, the mystery of the gospel. And the angel says, you're supposed to give him a specific name. What is it? You're to name him Jesus. Why? Because this is what his name means. He will save his people from their sins. Do you know you're hopeless if Christmas never happened, but Christmas happened and we can be a people of hope again? Not only that, what does it say there in line eight of the second stanza of this song? Jesus, who? Our Emmanuel. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Jesus was ever even born. What does Emmanuel mean? That God is with us, meaning that the salvation that we needed for the forgiveness of sins wasn't left in our own hands because we couldn't deal with it on our own. That's the gospel. Instead, what did God do? He stepped out of heaven. He took on flesh. He went to a cross. And on that cross, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that my sin, my rebellion against God was placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. That your sin and your rebellion against God was placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And the wrath of God was poured out against sin on that cross. You see, the purpose of Christmas is Jesus came to get us. But the price of Christmas 
is very high. Because while we gather around that stable this Christmas season, may we never forget that there's a shadow over the manger, and it's in the shape of a cross. Jesus not only came to earth, but he came with a mission to ultimately to go to a cross. But think about this, 2 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul wrote this, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's true. That he was buried. But listen to this. The purpose of Christmas is that he came. The price of Christmas is that he died. But the hope of Easter is this, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Praise be to God that the price of Christmas has been paid by Jesus and it no longer has to be paid by you and me if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We know the purpose of Christmas, the price of Christmas, and now this is where we'll close. We have the opportunity, point number three, third stanza, to experience the peace of Christmas. The peace of Christmas. We see in lines three, or six through eight, we can go to the next one there. In lines six, six through eight, that Jesus, in line six, born that man no more may die. Jesus was born to die in my place. Line seven, born to raise the sons of earth. What does that mean? Jesus was born ultimately to bring eternal life to humanity. And then line number eight, born to give them second birth. Jesus was born, John chapter three, to bring us back into relationship with God. And when you and I make the decision, this doesn't happen um, kind of by osmosis. It's a personal decision that we must all make. We make the decision to allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And then those things that Wesley writes about in lines 6 through 8 become a reality in our lives. That Jesus and what he did for us, those things get applied to my account and to your account when he's Lord of my life. And then here's how we close it, lines 1 through 4 of the third stanza. We get to experience the Jesus of lines 1 through 4. We get to experience the Prince of Peace. We get to experience the son of righteousness. We get to experience the light of the world, John 9, 5. We get to experience life and life abundantly, John 14, 6. Wesley writes that there's healing in his wings. We get to experience a healing for sin that we can't take care of ourselves. And so the question as we close out this very first song is what's the application with a song like Hark the Herald Angel Sing? Is there even one that we could take with us today. And I wrestled with that this week, and I kept asking the Lord, Lord, what is, that, what is that thing that your people need to hear this morning? And I believe that God reminded me that it was the very first line of the song that's repeated four different times across these 30 lines, and it's that simple phrase, hark the herald angels sing. We didn't cover this in the beginning on purpose, but what does that phrase even mean? Nobody walks around saying hark, you know. Nobody's coming to church today and like, hey, everybody, hark. Nobody did that. What does that even mean? The word hark is an old English word that means listen, pay attention, tune in. Hark, Wesley writes, listen. Listen to what? Listen to the herald of the angels. Listen to what the angels are proclaiming. We could phrase it in our modern English like this. Listen. Listen to what the angels proclaim. What did the angels proclaim there in Luke chapter 2? What do we hear them proclaiming every Christmas season, Luke 2, verse 11, that today, that 2,000 years ago in the city of David, a place called Bethlehem, a Savior was born, and hear this personal pronoun, for you. A Savior was born for me, who's the Messiah, 
The one who was sent by God to rescue people from their sin. The Messiah, the Lord, the master of the universe, the very one who we need to give our lives to. The angels proclaim, sin had separated you from God, but God came to get us. So what's the application this Christmas season? And I hope this encourages you and it's helpful for you today. When the rush of the Christmas season begins to overtake you these next couple of weeks, I hope that you pause and listen to what the angels are proclaiming. When you're stressed out over work deadlines and things that you have to meet before you can take a a holiday break, listen to what the angels proclaim in the scriptures about Jesus. Here's one. This is a a perfect application for many of us. When you have that two-week break with your kids from school, my gosh. Listen to what the angels proclaim. When you're sitting around a table arguing with your relatives after you just opened presents together, listen to what the angels proclaim. And when you're gathered around a Christmas tree opening presents on Christmas morning, listen to what the angels proclaim, that a Savior was born for you. He was born, he died, and he offers forgiveness to each one of us if we will give our lives over to him. A Savior was born for you. And I know this is hokey and cheesy, but I just kept being reminded of this this week. After reading through Hark the Herald Angels Sing and and really just processing through all of these scriptures and coming back to that simple line that a Savior was born for each one of us, we started with Charlie Brown, so let's end it with Charlie Brown too, right? Remember what Linus says after he quotes Luke chapter 2 to his buddy Charlie? And that's what Christmas is all about. Can I pray for us as our praise team comes? God, we love you. God, even in the things that can become so common to us, simple things like television shows, songs, Lord, that we sing year after year. God, if we really pause and we listen, we can see that they are absolutely packed with the truth of your word, that a Savior was born for each one of us. God, we may say it every single year, but I pray that it continues to ring true in our lives, that in the hustle and bustle of everything that these next 30 days Um, demand of us from work and school and family obligations and plays and kids programs and so much is going to fill our schedules that God maybe maybe when we hear some of these songs that we'll be able to take a minute or two and we can pause and maybe even in this simple song that we're going to sing in a moment again that we can just pause and we can listen to what the angels proclaimed in Luke 2 on that that night in Bethlehem that a savior was born for us that a Savior died for us, and that Jesus offers life to each one of us if we would willingly give ourselves over to him completely. Father, we know that that is the meaning of Christmas. So God, would you take your word and not only allow it to enter our ears today, but God, would it do something in our hearts to draw us closer to Jesus? God, I pray now as we sing that this song would be a sweet, sweet sound through the corridors of heaven, Lord, giving you this praise that you deserve as we, as Wesley encouraged us, as we join the angels proclaiming that Christ has come. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen.